Hi, everybody. I'm Jason Mangum. And I'm Mark Anderson. And this is a segment of World Impact News. Today, we're going to be discussing MSM admits you might not be infected. And so there's a lot of information that we're going to bring to you today, as well as Mark has several different things he's going to give you in detail and lay out why we called this MSM admits, because we can see now that there's a little bit of a tide turning where the mainstream media, even with those like the New York Times, are beginning to admit and talk about, for once, Mark, the truth. And, you know, recently um, I actually saw a comment made by Chuck Woolery, who has nothing to do with the mainstream media, but Chuck Woolery, son, his son was tested positive for COVID. He had zero symptoms, and three days later, he was retested for COVID, and he tested negative. So we can see there's some problematic <coughs> signs and mm -hmm. data and information regarding the testing. And so that's what we're going to bring to you today as you watch and listen. Mark's going to fill you in with all the details as well as some video footage pointing out more about uh, this COVID and the lockdown and how we should reopen. Yes, Jason, thanks. Uh, I've been in California recently behind enemy lines, some might say, the left coast, others might say, and I spend a lot of time in Michigan also, which has been a tight lockdown state, though not as bad as California. And I've been doing a lot of observations and reporting and information gathering on the road for World Impact News <clears throat> in both California, Michigan, and elsewhere. And along my travels, Jason, I came across this New York Times article. It was initially published very recently, August 29th, but it was updated just two days ago, September 8th, as we shoot this segment of World Impact News. It's September 10th, 2020. And right out of the starting gate, here's the New York Times, the vaunted newspaper of record, a big kahuna, right, in the mass media cartel. Some of, it call the, some of us call it the MSM or mass, uh, you know, mainstream media. At any rate, the, right out of the starting gate, here's how the article begins, Jason. Some of the nation's leading public health experts are raising a new concern. Note that word new. We'll talk about that in a minute. In the endless debate over coronavirus testing in the United States, the standard tests are diagnosing huge numbers of people who may be carrying relatively insignificant amounts of the virus. Now, that's very huge. I'll keep reading a little bit more. Most of these people are not likely to be contagious. Let me read that first sentence of the second paragraph again. Most of these people are not likely to be contagious, and identifying them may contribute to bottlenecks, the time goes, Times goes on to say, that prevent those who are contagious from being found in time. But researchers say the solution is not to test less, test less, excuse me, or to skip testing people without symptoms. 
And then the article goes sort of off into the weeds, suggesting that there should be more tests and different types of tests. But the real underlying message here is that a viral load, and this is what we've been saying, news people like ourselves and others who report along similar lines, Jason, we've been saying this all along. The viral load matters. In other words, having a relatively minor or very small uh, assumed exposure to the coronavirus where you have very little viral material or fragments or debris, one might almost say, uh, in your body is, especially in healthy people, is not enough of a viral load to make you sick. And certainly, if you're not sick and you have such a small viral load, you're also not going to be contagious. And the implications of this are very, very bleak and stark and right in your face. Because what this article goes on to say is that with this um, anomaly where the viral load in many people is thought to be very small, that would mean that of all the, of all the cases that have been listed, you know, hundreds of thousands of cases have been listed in the United States, and they say that, oh, right around 180, 185,000 as of this broadcast, maybe close to 190,000 have died in the United States alone, allegedly from coronavirus. But they're saying there's, or, by orders of magnitude, there's many more cases than there are deaths. But with this uh, brought to bear, a vast majority of those cases, the New York Times is strongly suggesting, and this is a big thing for the Times to suggest or admit, a vast majority of those cases are the low viral load people, and they're not showing symptoms. And with such a low viral load, not only do they not get sick and therefore they're asymptomatic, therefore also they're not contagious. And that leads you right into the unavoidable conclusion that all this obsessive mask wearing has never been necessary. That's the big take home on this, the takeout, the takeaway. Excellent, Mark. I mean, see, and that is the reality of what we're seeing. And finally, there's a bit of a turn where even the mainstream media, or at least, and it's not one, Mark, we're beginning to see others that are suggesting the same they're kind of coming out of the closet, so to speak, on this, out of the dark. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. They're, they're coming out. This is the media's coming out. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, so kind of, kind of interesting, a little bit of a change there for us. But, you know, the reality is that 99% of people are not affected. They survive. They recover. They, I mean, so... That's the thing is it's something amazing to me, Mark, is that this virus, you know, as dangerous as the claims are made, and I'm not saying that the virus is not real, it's real, but it's amazing to me that this deadly virus that a person would have to be tested to know they've got it. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that interesting in itself? Of course, you know, with a roughly 98, 99% recovery rate, to be sure, some people did get rather sick. Some may be seriously ill, but that is still the recovery rate. Many of them only got moderately ill, but 99%, in other words, did not die, and there was an outcome, and that outcome was recovery. Some might have had it worse than others, depending on their age and their fragility 
and how feeble they might be in terms of their health. Um, lots of factors play a role. But to go on with this New York Times a little bit more, this article, it's important to get a little further into it. Um, there's a Dr. Mina, M-I-N-A, who's quoted. And this doctor says, it's the amount of virus, get that, it's the amount of virus that should dictate the infected patient's next steps. Dr. Mina then says, quote, it's really irresponsible, I think, to forego the recognition that this is a quantitative issue. And then it goes on to explain, quote, the PCR test amplifies genetic matter, the PCR test being the most common COVID test, from the virus in cycles. The fewer cycles required, the greater the amount of virus or viral load in the sample. The greater the viral load, the more likely the patient is to be contagious. See, so again, the viral load is directly connected to how contagious you are and if you're contagious at all. This number of amplification cycles needed to find the virus, which is called the cycle threshold, is never included in the results sent to doctors and coronavirus patients, although it could tell them how infectious the patients are. See, so the doctors and the patients are not getting these nuances and these variables. Therefore, everybody that's told they're positive or, and now they're, they're listed as a case is assumed to be roughly on equal par. Well, I'm a case and so is the next guy. And so the automatic assumption is that they're all infected, quote unquote, to the same degree. But what this is saying is that the viral load is very critical and they're not infected to the same degree. So not all cases are born equal, assuming, as you indicated at the start of the show, Jason, that the testing is even accurate to begin with. And then the Times article goes on to say a little bit more, and this is worth noting, in three sets of testing data that include cycle thresholds compiled by officials in Massachusetts, New York, and Nevada, get this, up to 90% of people testing positive carried barely any virus. Let me say that again. In those three states, up to 90% of people testing positive carried barely any virus. Then it goes on to say, on Thursday, this would have been a couple Thursdays ago, today's Thursday, the United States recorded 45,604 new coronavirus cases. But as we've just heard, Jason, those cases vary in their severity if they're accurate to begin with. And many, they now suspect, strongly suspect, have these low viral loads that mean that means you're not going to get sick yourself and you're not contagious. But a couple Thursdays ago, 45,604 allegedly new coronavirus cases, according to a database maintained by the New York Times, if the rates of contagiousness in Massachusetts and New York were to apply nationwide, then perhaps only 4,500 of those 45,000 may actually need to isolate and submit to contact tracing. So once again, we see this 10% of the number. So in other words, if 10% were serious enough to isolate, that means 90% were not serious enough to isolate. Mm-hmm. And we keep seeing those ratios again and again and again, do we not, Jason? 90% or more of people are just fine or have minimal risk or moderate symptoms, and 10% tend to be worse. Uh, and sometimes the, the ratios are 99% and 1%. But no matter where you look, you're seeing 
90% or better in all these different comparisons, all these different configurations, uh, 90% or better of the people are, are at minimal or no risk, and uh, relatively small parts of the population uh, are adversely affected in a significant way. We see this across the board with cases, with deaths, with testing, uh, all the different measurements for COVID-19. And all of it points to we've had a huge overreaction. We've had government tyranny as the worst virus of all. And that we never had to have this obsessive masking uh, unless we want to say logically and to be fair that those that want to voluntarily wear a mask are free to do so. But those who choose not to wear one ought to be also free not to wear one. It should have been done all along like South Dakota, in my opinion, where the people are entrusted to make their own decisions and exercise common sense. Wear masks if you don't want to, or wear masks if you want to, don't wear them if you don't want to. Um, only isolate and, and uh, sequester the those that are aged or fragile or already sick or have comorbidities or, you know, underlying conditions, but don't sequester and don't isolate the, the, the healthy for reasons that we're stating here because the viral load is low and that's the reason they're healthy and that's the reason that it appears that they're not contagious. So there you go. It's been a huge overreaction. The, the, the evidence just keeps piling up, Jason, that it's been a huge overreaction and that we've had a lot of governors and mayors and whatnot getting an awful lot of power in a short amount of time and they don't want to give it up. Yeah, that's for sure. We can definitely see that even as today they continue to extend the shutdowns. I mean, the real tragedy of all of this, and even has the mainstream media played the part, and with these officials, both at the state level and local level, where they're doing these mass lockdowns, Stay at home, shelter at home orders. The real destruction in all of this is we could see to the economy and to businesses. Just like here, uh, we just learned yesterday, Luby's Cafeteria shall be no more. They are shutting down all because of COVID So, and the lockdowns, as well as other businesses are, are affected the same way. You can see the schools just got extended another four weeks here in South Texas. So, I mean, they're not open as it is. They're doing everything digital. So exactly to the point, Mark, is this was a way big overreaction. The data is proving all of these measures not to be effective even at all. Why were they even done? Because the mask didn't change anything, didn't help anything. You know, and you see even medical science, you see what the hospitals and the doctors in many areas are pushing. But when it comes to somebody being infected, allegedly, we're not too sure now, even the New York Times admits that, that they may not be infected, is what do they do when they do find somebody infected? Go home. What kind of treatment is that? Go home. Lock yourself away. Then those people that have been around you locked away. They're not in the hospitals, Mark. They're not me getting medical treatment. Matter of fact, they're being really, in many cases, refused the correct medical treatment, 
which they know does have a cure. So, you know, and, and that's really what we were pointing to today, ladies and gentlemen. And so uh, is this is a great overreaction. And now we can see as different ones admit the truth of the matter and what the data is actually proven to be that really this all didn't that the, the measures that were taken were overreach, not necessary, and now we can see the lives that are really being destroyed because of the effects with jobs, the economy, businesses, especially small businesses. So, wow, Mark, what a great segment this is. This is. Well, you know, it's not like lockdowns and slowdowns and shutdowns are neutral measures. These measures have a demonstrable and tangible effect on people's psyches, their sense of self, their sense of the future, their sense of well-being, their spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional health uh, across the board. You know, you've seen spikes in your part of the woods there in South Texas, Jason. You've talked to the police in McAllen and, and elsewhere about a big increase in car accidents, uh, just inexplicable things happening. drunk driving. Drunk driving. And you're going to have drug abuse and suicides are up. Um, these measures carried out by these governors and these, these mayors have had a direct impact also on our democracy. Uh, now we have possibly a presidential election coming up in less than two months where we're looking at the possibility of a mail-in vote where our entire democratic process is being eroded over a virus that has a 95 to 99% recovery rate. And now we're showing all the different things, the mainstream media, which up until now has been screaming uh, hysterical things about cases and deaths without any context and scaring the bejeebers out of people. And now they're sobering up just a little. But what I suspect, as a quick footnote here, Jason, is the New York Times is in a way making an admission, but I've been in news about 35 years now. I know what I'm talking about. This is also a little bit of damage control, and it's a little bit of a limited hangout. They have to, they have to admit some truth so no one can say they didn't, because otherwise someone can go back and say, what about the viral load issues? You ignore that. So they, they have to tell you some truth to save face and to maintain even the modicum of credibility. But the article that I'm reading from, and I read the real pertinent parts, the things that really matter, as I indicated earlier, it kind of goes off into the weeds and says now we need different kinds of tests and we need to test the healthy as well as those that have symptoms. And so the article still has distortions, but it has some kernels of truth and clear thinking embedded in it. But again, I think this is a face-saving, optics-controlling, perception management kind of article. But nevertheless, a little bit of truth slipped out in the coming out of the newspaper of record, the old gray lady there in Manhattan, uh, which has lost so much revenue, it's had to rent some of its building out to other tenants in recent years, I might note. But um, And this also, as we get into this issue a little deeper, before we show an important video here coming up in a minute of a Texas county judge in Montgomery County, this comes on the heels, remember, Jason, of the CDC's own posted admissions on its website that, and this has been disputed by some people uh, on all sides of the issue, that um, only about 6% of the 
national U.S. COVID deaths, and these are alleged COVID deaths. Remember, diagnosing all these deaths as, as COVID also is rife with imprecision and error in terms of that kind of testing. But 6% of the assumed COVID deaths in the United States, which is hitting around 180,000, 185,000 right now, maybe close to 190, because they keep inflating the numbers arbitrarily as we've covered. But, you know, 6% of those, only 6% of those were directly caused by COVID-19, whereas the remaining 94%, again, according to the CDC's own data, um, were accompanied, these deaths were accompanied by these comorbidities. Now, factcheck.org came out. This is kind of like Snopes, one of these suspicious uh, fact-check organizations. This one is based at a university in Pennsylvania. But factcheck.org comes out as the CDC and the mass media cartel started backpedaling on the CDC's admissions that under 10,000 or 6% um, died of direct COVID causes and the rest, the rest were comorbidities. But in that backpedaling, fact check comes out and tries to make the case that, well, you might have comorbidities, but COVID-19 is the thing that's going to kick you through the goalposts. In other words, you might not die without COVID, but since you have these comorbidities, COVID is going to be that final blow that kills you. Now, that might be true in some cases, but here's the thing. That article makes it sound as if COVID would also be the initial cause of your pneumonia, the initial cause of other comorbidities or other underlying conditions. But as we all know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that those with comorbidities, uh, people in Italy and the United States and all around the world that were fragile and evidently succumbed to COVID-19, despite all the unreliabilities of testing for COVID deaths, that the vast majority of them had their pre-existing conditions for a long time, way before COVID came along. So they were already sinking and were near death's door, and then they allegedly died of COVID, but many of them, and Fact Check does nothing to, to solve this, many of them would have died anyway, and they had had their underlying conditions for a long time. And then you have the possibility of the regular seasonal flu being confused with COVID because they're both from the coronavirus family. See, so once again, everything gets very murky and fact check tries to make it sound like a clean cut thing when it's not. So I think we can stick to our guns that approximately 6% under 10,000 of U.S. COVID deaths, only that amount were directly caused by COVID and the rest involved comorbidities. And once you get into that, it's a real guessing game as to where COVID really played a distinct and pivotal role in that death, or if those people with those pre-existing, oftentimes long-term underlying conditions, if they would have succumbed to death anyway. And that, of course, included the elderly. Most of the U.S. deaths have been people in the 55 and older ranges, let's just say. And so, you know, with, with all these ambiguities, um, I think it's still quite significant what the CDC posted. And I think we can take at least most of it at face value. And now that when you, when you combine that with what the New York Times has put out here, we can see that I think we've reached the threshold beyond a reasonable doubt, which is what they require in, in the courts, 
beyond a reasonable doubt, we've reached the threshold that this has been a huge overreaction. And I think we can firmly say that now, more firmly than ever before. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see what really was left out of that article and others of what that medical doctor said, because what the data is really showing is that 94% of those people that had COVID but didn't die from COVID, but it was listed as as uh, maybe on the death certificate or that they tested positive, 94% were already headed to their uh, deathbed, essentially, just as well as we're seeing the numbers and the data showing that even in the U.S., that out of that, 90% were people in nursing homes. So, you know, so the data is real clear here. So we can see it, and we can see now the mainstream media, uh, as we call it, the mass media cartel, having to backtrack a little bit. And uh, But it's all this other destruction and things that have done. You know, I, it, it's important to mention, Mark, that we can see uh, from data is that divorce is up 34%. This year, because of COVID, from last year. And so, you know, the effects are just, of this, are tremendous. You know, when COVID itself is really now being understood and known as nothing more than, or nothing more dangerous than a cold. Yeah, or, or perhaps the seasonal flu. And, and common sense really is, is where we need to land on this. And when you look at what we've looked at over several broadcasts here on World Impact News, Jason, and in other news outlets where you and I make our views known, um, you know, you just exercise common sense and, and keep things voluntary and only sequester and isolate those that are truly ill and let the healthy go about their lives. They have low viral loads, practically no viral loads. That's why they're not sick. That's why they're not contagious. That's why masks are largely not needed, and those that want them can wear them voluntarily. You just exercise common sense, and all those social ills, or at least most of them, the divorces, the suicides, the drunk driving, the car accidents, some of them fatal, all of that or much of that could have been avoided. And so there is a huge liability on the shoulders of many mayors and governors and county board people right now and the mass media cartel. They are responsible for inciting hysteria that has brought on real harm, Jason. And I think with that, if you're, if you're game, we can now listen to Mark Keog of Montgomery County near Houston and a little bit of an excerpt of what he is saying in regard and in the context that we're talking about, Jason. Yeah, so we'll run that footage right now for you. This is the county judge of Montgomery County as he speaks with some real information you're going to want to hear. So here it is. Hi, I'm Mark Keogh, and I'm your Montgomery County Judge. You know, this year at the beginning of March, we were told that if we would just limit our gatherings to 250, we could stop this coronavirus, or at least limit it and lower the curve. We were also told then, right after that, that it needed to be 50. And then we were told it was 10. You know, shortly during that time in March when this was all coming up about the coronavirus, the president declared a national emergency, the governor declared a state emergency, and in like form, 
we here in Montgomery County declared a county emergency. By the middle of March, the health department was telling us one group that I met with that we could lose up to 20% of the people of Texas. I was even told that by the end of April, at the time of our writing of our final order, that we were gonna have 100,000 cases here in Montgomery County. So what could we do? We came out with the order and we did the stay at home. And our goal was to do what they told us to do, was to stem the tide, stop the spread, flatten the curve, don't overwhelm the hospitals. Well, by April 17th, what I discovered was this. Most people who have the virus are not sent to the hospital, they're sent home. I looked at it day after day, about 10% of all of those who, were who, who had the virus, who tested positive, were either in the hospital for observation or had already been in the hospital for something else. And 90% of the people were sent to the house. I thought, how serious is this? Well, then when I discovered at that same time, and I went back and checked the numbers, that 99% of the people who are testing positive for the coronavirus, you know what? They're surviving. The survival rate is 99%. Now, what's really interesting is just a little while ago, I looked at yesterday's most recent numbers and guess what percentage is of the people that are surviving? 99%. Now, I sit there and I look at this and I say over a six month period, no matter what we do, whether we open, whether we close, whether we partially open, whether or not we require people to wear masks or we don't require them to, you know that the number is 99% survival rate. We've been told that we have got to flatten the curve. Do you know what happened during this time period? The hospitals, as we were opening up Texas, kept telling us, slow down, slow down, we're moving too fast. We've got to flatten the curve. We're gonna overwhelm the hospitals. We never came close to overwhelming the hospitals, but the governor came out and he shut down elective surgeries in the hospitals, which took a tremendous financial toll on everybody. Within the same day of him coming out with that order, those hospitals gathered together and they told us in the newspaper, on TV, well, you know, we were really saying all that to get people to slow down, but we're gonna be able to handle this. Well, you know what? There's a 99% survival rate, but you know what we're not gonna survive? And Governor Abbott, I'm speaking to you. We are not gonna to survive the destruction of our economy. Montgomery County, our restaurants, our hotels, our major businesses, one in five churches, it is projected that will never ever open again. Two in three microbreweries, all of our bars, we have picked and chosen certain groups to be successful and certain ones not to be. When is this madness gonna end? We're destroying our families. I get emails and texts from parents all the time, either come in on Facebook or whatever the case may be. Families are being destroyed. Children are being emotionally, verbally, and physically abused in this cooped up quarantine mindset mentality. Suicide is up. I got an email from a mother the other day that she said her six-year-old was out on the playground and on the playground wearing a mask in 104 degrees. The child got sick and threw up. They sent the child home and won't let the child come back until he is tested so that he can see they have tested him and that he does not have the coronavirus. Listen, Governor, I know that you've mentioned that you're going to do something next week.
but I'm pleading with you. I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you on behalf of the people of Montgomery County and the rest of the state of Texas. If you're going to do something, open us up 100%. Don't piecemeal this. Whether we are open or closed, 99% of us are gonna survive this, 99%. And we have just come to find out that of the ones that do pass away, that comorbidities were involved in 94% of those. 94% already had something that was driving them to their deathbed. Governor, it's time to open Texas. Let's do it and let's do it now. I'm Mark Keogh. I'm your Montgomery County judge. God bless you and God bless the great Montgomery County. Wow, Mark, how well spoken. Uh, completely. Wouldn't you love to hear people who are county judges with names like Richard Cortez in Hidalgo County, Texas, speak like that instead of just arbitrarily piling on one um, restriction after another, knocking out many, many businesses in the Rio Grande Valley, some of whom I know personally, who will never operate again, who put heart and soul into those businesses for decades, something a bureaucrat cannot relate to the typical bureaucrat. Yeah, you could yeah, you could definitely see uh the county judge Mark Keogh say heartfelt a concern and a care for his community, his entire right. county, because he's seeing the aftermath of this and what it's done. But we need leadership like him in That's this right. nation at a higher yeah. level. Absolutely right. It's it's a it's way past time that we start outlawing truth in this country. A nation built on lies dies. No nation can survive, no matter how strong its constitution is, no nation can survive on a bed of lies. It's time for the governors, Mr. Abbott, everyone, to man up and tell us the truth and to act on that truth like Mark Keogh is doing. That's what we need. That's leadership. That's what gets votes if they're so worried about their political skins. We need to see some courage, and we need to put an end to all this lying and power tripping. And that's the bottom line. Yeah, as well as these mass media cartels, when you're talking about these mainstream media organizations and conglomerates, they need to be held accountable. That's right. That are controlling the airwaves that should have no business even on the airwaves. There needs to be a real accountability in this nation, and I believe we're going to see a turn. At least that's what I'm hoping for, Mark, that we see a real turn there with these different media, this whole conglomerate and control of it that are owned by five, maybe six corporations. So it's got to change. So it, it really, it now really is the time. It really does. Now is the time. Uh, they, they can have their say, I suppose, since they have all this money, but this monopolistic control of the airwaves, radio, TV, etc., has got to go, especially in light of all the social media um, censorship over dissident voices like our own, which is really doubly unfair and really adds extreme insult to serious injury. But with that, I think this really outlines the, uh, you know, the MSM admitting that you might not be infected, the viral loads are low, the viral load is an important issue. Until now, that's barely been talked about. That's the real takeaway here, Jason. Very good, Mark. And that's really what 
we'll wrap this segment up. Thank you for watching. We hope that you were informed, that you enjoyed it. Like it, share it with others, subscribe to the channel, and we will see you next time. Again, I'm Jason Mangum. And I'm Mark Anderson. God bless.